This one's an interesting one. It depends. You can answer it however you want. But... Simon Knott, welcome back to the show. Yeah, honored to be here. Thank you. We have exciting news. You've been acquired. I think both you and Coral, kind of the company, you're now part of Netlify's our official scheduled jobs feature. So we'd love to hear what you've been up to since we last spoke and what's going on now that you're at Netlify. Definitely. What do you want to know? So my first question would be, did they approach you about the acquisition? Yeah, so the introduction has been made by Bucky Moore of Kleiner Perkins, and he's one of the investors in Netlify. He reached out to me a couple of months ago and was like, oh, this sounds like an interesting project. I have this company that I'd like to introduce to you. They, they're interested in the partnership. Then I took up on that offer. I had a call with Matthias and Chris. We found that Quirrell fits perfectly into the product. I was very excited about working there, and I still am. Yeah, and then I joined the company. And now I'm there. That's great. And for listeners who did not listen to our original Quarrel episode, why don't you explain a little bit of what Quarrel is and what problem it's solving? Definitely. So Quarrel is a job queuing solution. The typical problem is imagine some full stack application, for example, a full stack jump stack application. At some point, they will need a, a job queue, some kind of a system that allows you to either run specific things on a scheduled basis or run them repeatedly. For example, if you want to clear out old data every night at 1 a.m. or something. That's what you use a scheduling system for. If you're developing a event ticketing merchant and you want to remind your customers that they have an event coming up, then you need a scheduler because you need to schedule the reminder. That is a problem that has historically been very much solved. We've had solutions for that for 20 years, but we didn't have a good solution for serverless deployments because the typical way that job queues work or, or scheduled jobs is that you just write all of them in a big table and then every couple of seconds you sort by the date when they should run and you just execute the ones that are due. But that only works if you can check that every couple of seconds. And in a serverless deployment where things are not running 24 for seven, that is not possible. And that's where Quirrell comes in. Quirrell basically takes all that scheduling thing and moves it to a different service. And then it will call your application to execute the things at the right time. So your application still runs serverless and you get all the nice benefits of not having to worry about deployments. That's what Quirrell does. One of the big things that we spoke about when we really had you first on the episode was Quirrell was very much in its introductory phase. How has Quirrell improved since then to now, then further, what has currently been introduced into Netlify's platform and what could potentially move over in the future? So last time we spoke, that was early phases of Quirrell, like the, the rough trajectory of where it should go feature-wise was clear, but there were some features that weren't there yet. I'm not sure if, for example, cron jobs were there already. Since then, some small features have been introduced to Quirrell. I've polished it a lot, documentation has improved, but feature-wise, not a lot has changed because really I, I wanted Quirrell or I want Quirrell to be small and precise for the job it's solving. I don't need Quirrell to solve the gazillion other problems. At Netlify, we introduced produced scheduled functions which is mostly cron jobs 
That is one of the features that Quirrell had, cron jobs. So what it allows you to do is you can write a normal Netlify function and you can specify that that function should be executed once a day or once a week or every hour on some schedule. And you can express that in the cron expression format that maybe some of you have, have seen already. That is the first feature we built. It is very much inspired by Quirrell's developer experience. At Quirrell, one of the really key things that I think make up Quirrell are the code-first principles. So if you want to define a cron job, you import it cron job from Quirrell, like import curly brace open, cron job, curly brace close from Quirrell. That is what you did in your code. And you exported a cron job. That's it. We now have the same for scheduled functions and Netlify, which is really huge to me. That is possibly like the one thing that I'm most proud about is the way that a developer interacts with Quirrell. And now that a developer interacts with scheduled functions. We have ideas about other features we'd like to build. Part of those features are things that you already know from Quirrell. Part of those features are things that are only possible because it is now part of Netlify and it's now part of the platform. But we're unsure yet what exactly to build. And currently, so scheduled functions is in a beta phase. You can enable it in Netlify Labs and you can try it out. And we're currently just letting people try it out and gather feedback and see what other features are requested and what other features we should build. Have you seen the real functionality of Quirrell expanded since it's migrated over to Netlify? Have you seen more interesting use cases or more potential currently being explored. Is this just like the start of the idea as Quirrell as the seed of it all? I think what Curl really is a seed for is the idea of configuration in code. Maybe some of you have, have read the article last year about uh, Sean Swig's Wang. It was called uh, the self-provisioning runtime. And in that article, he describes this concept where developers just write their code and then the platform it runs on that will infer what runtime is needed, what databases are needed, what message queues are needed, what kind of infrastructure is needed. That is like more generally the idea of configuration via code inferred from code. And that is super interesting to me. What I can say is that this whole idea of declaring a scheduled function in code was built with that idea of reading config from code in the background. So internally, we call this in-source declarations or in-source config, ISC. That is only an internal name. I don't want anybody to refer to that way externally. That's a name that will never be in docs. It's just for us internally. But I think that that shows what potential is there. So one idea could be like, at the moment, you have this Netlify.toml file where you put in certain configuration that you want to have. And one idea could be, hey, maybe that's a thing that should be in your source code instead. For example, if you look at Netlify functions, at the moment, what you can do is you can have a redirect in your Netlify.toml. So you could say, hey, I want a Netlify function called .netlify slash function slash foo. I want that to be available under slash cow or something, anything. That redirect, for example, that could also live in your function code directly. That's just like a rough idea I, I, I had at this moment. It's not something we're exploring. I'm not saying that's a good idea, but that's one of the possible things that we could build with this. Yeah, I think that's super interesting because config files are nice for certain things, but there's a lot of config that you want to be co-located with your code that should live with your code and that should not live in a super long, super big config file. Yeah, that's why I like this pattern. Have you seen that since Quirrell has been acquired by Netlify, that internal teams in Netlify have been like, we needed just that to do our feature right? Yes. 
Absolutely. When I joined in the first call I was on, where I was introduced to the company, there's like every Monday we have this call where everybody is on and like new hires are introduced there. There was a hype train of people shouting cron in the chat because people were so excited about finally having cron jobs. After that meeting, I jokingly changed my job title in Slack. I am now the CCO, Chief Cron Officer. Yeah, people were very excited about cron jobs. It sparked a lot of interest in things like, for example, doing scheduled bills. That's one thing that you currently can do via scheduled functions. Or you write a scheduled function that then every like every day or something triggers Netlify to rebuild the site. That's one thing that we currently allow customers to do themselves with scheduled functions. But it might be that we want to ship something similar. And there has been a lot of interest internally because uh, cron jobs really are like one of these basic building blocks that can be very helpful in making other features work. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned doing a scheduled build because this is something that I was working with a couple friends on like an events calendar kind of website and we needed the site to rebuild after an event happened. So new to like, you know, have previous events not be shown as upcoming. And I remember at the time, I think this is like beginning of 2021, that we were talking about it and they were like, yeah, we want to figure out a way how to do like, you know, a, a scheduled build of the site. Like, how do you do that? And I'm like, yeah, how do you do that? Shouldn't that be like a simple thing? Like you can't just do that on Netlify. And then we went down this huge rabbit hole of figuring out how to get like a GitHub action attached to a cron job. And then that would run like a Netlify build command and we had to like build this thing out. And now, as you say, that's just built into the platform now. So I'm curious, are you seeing other things that people had their own bespoke workflows for that they're now migrating to scheduled functions? What we've seen internally is people building uh, a lot of like internal tools using it. For example, like a small thing that I've been building is we have this website called hawaiidiff.org, I think. If you haven't read it on Twitter, now is the right time to join Netlify because we'll be going to Hawaii in September. It's like a huge internal thing. People are making all sorts of little gimmicks about it. And one of these gimmicks is Hawaii Diff. It's a website that shows you how many days it is until we go to Hawaii. That uses on-demand builders, so it rebuilds every day. That is one thing. But like you could, for example, build your event thing with on-demand builders too. What I've built is a small Slack integration that sends a message to like our internal Slack channel every day about how many hours it is until Hawaii or how many days rather hours would be a bit spammy and that's one thing we've built and like generally there's a lot of lot of these small plumbing together things that people have started building with scheduled functions this is a side note you're going to be very shattered from the time zones I will be yeah I'm planning to do vacation somewhere in the middle before going to Hawaii so that will make things a bit easier many locations in America unless you go the other way ah maybe maybe Cron jobs and, and these kind of things, I've had it myself where this is back in Gatsby 2 days where you're like, we just need to like rebuild the website every night, just run it. And it's like, how do you do that easily? I think we sell up a, a Zapier hook or something like that. Yes, that is one of the very crude workarounds people do. Some people get a GitHub action that runs on a cron schedule. Some people get a Zapier hook. There's a million other solutions. I think there's also like cron.net or something or some online services that do it. There are ways to do it, definitely, but none of them are particularly easy to work with. Like it's easy to set it up, but think about some project you're building maybe with an agency and you want to hand that off to another team at some point. It would be so much easier to just give them the schedule function that is part of your normal repository, part of normal code base, than having to give them access to the one Zapier hook you've been writing. 
So with the migration over to Netlify, does this mean that these cron jobs, cron functions become like a Netlify exclusive that you have to host your full application on Netlify? Or could you call out different parts to outside of Netlify? Where does that kind of landscape currently sit? Technically, there's nothing stopping you from just using scheduled functions on Netlify and then uh, making the request somewhere else. There's nothing technically that's stopping you from doing that. That is, in some aspect, part of the Jamstack, right? Jamstack is JavaScript, APIs, and markup, and a bit of other things. But this whole idea there is that APIs can be hosted somewhere else. We see Netlify functions also as a plumbing tool, and running APIs somewhere else, and only having the plumbing that does a request every day or something on Netlify, that's totally fine. I'm super excited to give them a go. It's one of them things where you know you need to do these things. Yeah, wouldn't it be great to send a report to your customers every week and it's like, I'll just push it to tomorrow. That will be a task for tomorrow. And it's like, in your head, you're like, well, creating the report is the easy thing, but working out how to do a seven-day timer in computers, that is too complicated for me. So really teaching people how to do it as easy as possible would be dead cool. Right now, it's a lot of function as code, logic as code, logic as code, whatever it's called. Logic as code, that's uh, code, yeah. Yeah, is there any plans to build any more like user-friendly dashboard where they could just make cron jobs from a UI? That is definitely something that we could explore. I know there's ideas about making the dashboards easier, making dashboards more accessible to people who don't code. But at the moment, it is code only. But what you can do is you can uh, specify your cron or your schedules in the netlify.toml config file. That is one thing you can do currently. There's been movements in the Blitz ecosystem recently to change gears a little bit to being now more of like a toolkit, like a backend toolkit is kind of the idea. So I'd be curious to hear a little bit about that, both for our listeners who don't really know about that. And I'd be curious if you're involved at all with that, because it sounds like something that could actually work pretty well with the type of things that Quirrell does. Blitz.js, for the people who haven't heard of it, is a framework for building full stack React applications. It is based on Next.js. So like, in a couple of words, take Next.js and add a couple of features that are really helpful for building full-stack applications. In particular, easy database access, a very easy way to build APIs in a way that you don't really feel you're building APIs, and then a bunch of ecosystem things around it. That is Blitz.js. And it has started as a compile-to-next.js framework. So you wrote your application in Blitz.js. It felt very similar to Next.js with a couple of features sprinkled on. And then there was that Blitz compiler, which took your application and compiled it to a Next.js application. And then it could run everywhere where Next.js runs. That was like at the beginning. And then we've quickly felt problems with that whole compile to Next approach and that it made it harder to build certain features because you couldn't change things inside of Next. And then Brandon forked Next.js and made Blitz.js like a fork of Next.js, still very similar to Next.js. And all the things that work in Next also work in Blitz. But technically, it was a fork. And at the time, that was the obvious thing to do. But we found that it was very hard to keep up with the changes in Next.js. Next.js internally, I don't know if you've looked at the code base. If you haven't needed to look at it, you can count yourself happy. It is a very hard code base to work with. I totally understand where that comes from. Like one of the things that are really significant in Next.js is that it basically hasn't dropped support for any feature they've built. They haven't had any major deprecations or breaking changes. And that is really great. 
but also the reason that their code base is hard to work with. That has slowed Blitz.js down a lot. At some point, we found that the main things that make Blitz.js Blitz.js are things that can work on top of Next. I think we identified more or less of like three things. The one thing that makes Blitz Blitz is the zero API data layer. The API you don't have to build because it doesn't feel like building an API. The other thing is the very easy database integration. And then the third thing is the community. The idea is if we can build a library on top of Next.js, then we can really do the things that Blitz is best at. And potentially we can even offer those things to Remix users or to users of Vue or whatever. Personally, I think Vue is a bit more of a far shot given that it's not based on React, but that could be a thing in the future. There's efforts to build the Blitz toolkit, which will be a library on top of Next.js. And then Blitz.js, the framework, will go into sort of a like archival or legacy mode. We will still maintain it. We will give it security fixes and all those things that you expect from your framework, but there won't be any new development on it. And we will have a very easy migration path to migrate to the Blitz toolkit. I think that will work fine. We've been very good at building like code mods. Maybe you've heard of Blitz recipes, which is more or less a way to install libraries very easily. And we have a lot of like experience with code mods in like that Blitz recipe thing and I'm pretty sure that we'll build a good migration path there. And then the Blitz team is growing now that so there's Brandon has founded a company called Flight Control. That company will basically be a Heroku 2.0. So it makes it very easy to host your application on AWS without having to learn all the complex things in AWS. They also hire people specifically to work on Blitz. So now I think there's two full-time maintainers, Alexandra and somebody else. Dylan just got added, I think. Dylan, yeah, Dylan got in. They're working on maintaining stuff. Yeah, I think it, it will be good. And Brandon is basically leading the whole Blitz.js toolkit thing. Yeah, I saw also that TRPC might be involved with the, the rewrite. I'd be curious if you know anything about that. And if you can kind of say, what is TRPC? TRPC is kind of a mind bender. Yeah, definitely. So TRPC is, I don't know if the, what the T stands for, but the RPC stands for remote procedure call. I guess the T is for TypeScript. What TRPC does is it basically delivers like the same zero API data layer that Blitz.js has, but in a totally framework agnostic way. It makes use of some very cool features in TypeScript that allow you to define your API as a couple of functions that always run on the backend and then access on the client. And you have the same function signatures. You know that that function takes in a couple of parameters and will return like whatever model it returns. And it's type safe. Maybe the T stands for type safe. I don't know. That's what TRPC does. And it's basically, that's why I find it so interesting. It's basically a lot of the ideas behind Blitz's zero API data layer taken out from Blitz. And I think, and I'm not super sure about this, but I think that uh, Alex Jørgensen, who is the maintainer of TRPC, got the idea from Blitz. He was a maintainer of Blitz in the, in the first couple of months. And I think he then took the idea and decided to build something outside of Blitz with it, which was great. And they even used some of our libraries, super JSON, that is the library that I'm working, that that is my part of Blitz.js. They used that to transfer JSON or transfer non-JSON values over the network. Super JSON is actually really cool. We spoke about it last time on the podcast. Where does you feel like the line is drawn is in terms of what is transferred to Netlify's intellectual property and what is still your own? Is all of like your Blitz.js stuff, Super JSON, that's all still separate to Netlify's? 
Absolutely. Uh, Netlify has bought the Quero properties. Netlify owns the copyright to the Quero project, to some of the projects that are like part of the Quero organization, like literally the projects that are in the GitHub Quero organization, and the brand name and all these things. But Quero is still open source and it will stay open source, so you're totally fine to use it. It's just that it has another owner in the license now. Really cool. How does it feel to work at a very remote-centric company as a European? I'm also European, and I'm spending a lot of my days speaking to a lot of people in America. You kind of feel like you're more sleeping on their schedule than your own at this point. Yeah, personally, I really, I have to say I love it. I love it for a lot of reasons that weren't super apparent to me in the beginning. Let's first talk about this whole like time zone thing, right? At Netlify, there is, at least when you look at engineering, there's pretty much like a half split between European time zones and American time zones. That means there is a two to three hour window in the European evenings. So for me, that's 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. pretty much, where all of the meetings happen. It's not a lot of meetings at Netlify, but when there are meetings, Things, they are in that time frame. For me personally, that is fine because that is the time where it's not a time where I'm super concentrated. I have my high concentration hours typically more in the morning and I can use those for heads down coding, solving problems. And then in the afternoons, I can talk to people to coordinate on what we're doing. So for me, it's very fine. It does mean that from time to time I worked till seven or something but not every day and that is fine because the whole other remote centric stuff is so great i love that i can just go grocery shopping in the middle of the day i love that i can just browse through slack whenever i want frankly that is one of the most impactful things that were not obvious to me in the beginning if everything happens in written communication in slack messages or in github issues then it means that you can contribute to everything. That is a very great thing at Netlify, especially in engineering. It is very common that people from entirely different teams chime in and have great ideas about things you're building and can help you out. Whereas in a non-remote setting, you would have needed to be lucky that they're in the same room so they can hear your struggles or they can hear the questions you're thinking about only to realize that they have input to that. And with that whole like remote-centric written communication thing, it's like you have over 200 people at your disposal or like that read the things you worry about every day. And that is very powerful. And I like that a lot. Do you find it easy to turn off, for example, your team, half your team maybe in America, so you've just done your busy day, you've got tons of questions waiting to be answered, and it's your end of your work day. Do you find it hard to turn off? Because I know I do as a co-founder of a company, it's always like the work day never ends. <laughs> Yeah. So I found that hard in the beginning because, yeah, really, like work never ends. There's no point where just all people are gone from the office because the office is Slack and the office is open every day and 24-7. But I've adapted. There are times where I... No, I'm, I'm pretty good at disconnecting. I've become good. Sometimes... I have this thing where I open my phone and I look at my mails because I need to know that one like login verification code that got in. And there's this one headline that I'm reading in this one mail that's making me think about, oh, that's what I need to work on tomorrow. I think I need to find a way to stop that. Maybe the solution is just to have a different email app for work email on your phone. But I have learned to cope with it. But nonetheless, like this is harder to do than at a on-site company. 
Exactly, because this is one of those things that we're seeing it go both ways of like everyone back to the office and no, working around the world can really work. I think one of the biggest things that I see and what I strive for from these kind of companies is that you don't discriminate on pay because that country is a cheaper country. You respect people's downtime when it's like after their work day trying to schedule thing with time zones time zones are hard why can't everybody in the world just agree like my work day is 1am till 9am everyone just agree on like the 24 hour clock and everyone's just at a different time on the 24 hour clock maybe we're on the right day recording this because today is the day where like the daylight savings time shift has happened but not in america and europe so this is a weird week yeah exactly and how do you even keep up to it with calendars because calendar doesn't know this is a million dollar idea. Just solve time zones across company wide. Fixed time. <laughs> Fixed time. Yeah, but on the other hand, the one thing that software developers learn is don't work with calendars. Don't work with time. You will just be destroyed in the process. I've been building a date picker and it's the bane of my existence. Like I built it from scratch. I built like the month, pick a year, pick a thing, two calendars side by side. And you're like, this works great. And then you're like, yeah, but what happens if they pick the dates in the wrong direction? Oh yeah, everything breaks. So then you gotta do like use effects to watch it, to switch it around. You're like, you're spending all day just writing like catch statements to be like, do this if they do that. And it's like calendars, they are hard. I've read enough articles about the miracles of time zones that I know I will never want to work with that. I imagine you probably got your hands pretty full with what you're working on already, but is there anything else in the open source world that you're kind of hacking on these days? Not really. I'm doing some Blitz.js work from time to time. I will be speaking at BJS at the Belgian JS conference in, in May. And yeah, I have this university project that I'm working on where we're trying to fight COVID. I was going to ask you about that. If you <laughs> finished if you finished school yet or if you just yeah. got hired no. while you're still in college. Yeah, I, I was hired when I'm still in college. I'm in uh, my fifth bachelor semester now and I'm pretty much like doing half my day is Netlify and then the other half is university. It is definitely interesting challenges at university, but the Netlify ones are more fun to work on and to be honest, a lot more interesting. But university is nice because you're around your friends. Well, I bet it's interesting explaining what Netlify is to them. I've noticed that even if you speak to another programmer, talking about JavaScript and the internet, hardly anybody knows. We think Jam is like this massive thing, but it's still like a massive echo chamber. People in PHP land have no clue what Vercel and Netlify are doing over here. So I think some people at my bachelor's project, for example, they know what Netlify is because we're using Netlify at that project. So we're building this dashboard and it obviously is deployed using Netlify. Uh, what's super interesting there is so we have this project partner and the project partner is, let's say, like a traditional German company. They're not exactly bleeding edge on technology and they wanted us to upload our dashboard files every day to an FTP server, which is very fine. Like you just embed it into your CI system and it's all right, but you lose all the nice things that Netlify gives you. You lose deploy previews, you lose the ability to comment on deploy previews, you lose the ability to just, I don't know, have good compression algorithms without doing config and all these things. They really feel like now that they know how Netlify, like how easy it is to use Netlify because they didn't really need to do anything for it and how error prone and hard to work with the other end of the scale is they are a bit sad to put it that way. I just hope that when you're doing them projects with your friends, you're just like, I'm just going to enable this really secret, like do not use command. <laughs> it's going to speed up the bundle at times 10. 
No, I have, I have not because that is really impressive to me actually because most of the features that are helpful are free to use. I think Netlify does a really good job at especially for the students' projects or for those like small personal projects at not charging for the things that sole developers don't need and charging for things that companies actually making money need. I used to say my favorite feature was the Forms plugin, but now it may be cron jobs. <laughs> yeah, the Forms plugin is really cool. One thing that I personally really like is Netlify Identity, the built-in authentication system, because it makes it really easy to build internal tools. Internal tools, that's the thing I'm, I enjoy most. Like if something allows you to build internal tools quickly, because I see how helpful that can be for projects or for companies and how hard it typically is to do. Do you know anything about Retool? Yes, I was about to talk about Retool. Retool is amazing. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, it's a, it's a really great tool. And I've, I've been using Retool when working on Quirrell just as a way to come through my, my user database and as a quick dashboard builder and a way to add some customers that got like specific discounts from me. And I used Retool to put those into the database. And that's like a low code, no code kind of tool. Yeah, it allows you, so Retool allows you to connect to a couple of different data sources. So for example, to your Postgres database, to your Redis, but also to your API, your GraphQL endpoint, whatever. It allows you to pull that in as like data sources and as, does it call them mutations? Like things where you write something, I'm not sure. And then it allows you to drag and drop your user interfaces. And it has a very, very powerful table abstraction that allows you to like comb through a database and basically directly edit the database, but in a way that is very easy to use that is also easy to use for non-techies i enjoy using retool a lot i could speak for days on no code tools i think no code tools are this very interesting juxtaposition to coded infrastructure because they're both very useful but which one is better and it's there is no such thing it depends on the project and not only in the project, but also on the people working on the project, right? Very much so. I would say, example, like webhooks. I would much rather define all webhook configuration in code, like complete in code. But then I know someone else that would rather just prefer to use a complete UI that then cooks it to whatever they want. And that's called Zapier. You know, it really depends on the use cases. And yeah, Retool is a tool I keep going to use and think maybe tomorrow and then put it back aside. I am always worried of no-code tools that do things that could be somewhat easily solvable with good code. There's a set of things that are not that hard to build yourself, if you have the skills for it, that some people use no-code tools for. That is fine for things you like quickly plug together. But as soon as you work with a team on something, I personally find the whole like Git-centric workflow of reviewing codes, discussing and pull requests, all those things super helpful. And you eventually see some of those no-code tools adopting a Git-similar approach where they also have branches, they also have pull requests and all those things. Then I'm thinking, well, you could just use Git and have some easy-to-use domain-specific specific language for this or something. Sounds like someone should make their own specification for no-code tools. I have two questions left. When you join 
Netlify, did you feel imposter syndrome? I think this is a real cool question to ask. So many of us look up to these companies and I feel like if I joined one of these companies, I would be like, holy hell, what am I even doing? Do I deserve to be here? Am I even a good programmer? I failed that a lot and I failed it specifically in the fields where I knew that I didn't have as much experience. For example, being an Netlify is the first time I'm working with a big team and I'm working with a big team of techies. Open source doesn't teach you all those things that you need to know or that are helpful when you're, for example, also working with product managers and with uh, marketing and design, etc. PP. I felt a lot of imposter syndrome there. And then one of the things is that at Netlify and especially in my team, there's just a bunch of incredibly talented people and of incredibly talented people that have spent a lot more time in their profession than me. Yeah, in the beginning, I felt a bit of imposter syndrome, but it has worn off. I don't want to say it has worn off quickly and it has not worn off completely, but I think what's helped me a lot now is that the first new hires are on my team and there's the first new hires on my team that I help and that I see making the same mistakes that I am and now I see hey this wasn't me being incompetent this was just the normal new hire thing but I work with a bunch of very talented people especially Eduardo who's like directly on my team Eduardo Bucas like he has done a lot of very great work also in schedule functions and every time I get to work with him I'm amazed about his very precise clear communication skills about his empathy and yeah about his thoughtfulness he he thinks of things that before they happen that you wouldn't have ever thought about until they happen but he somehow has the experience and has the mindfulness to know them in advance and Eduardo is not the only person in Netlify that is that way there's a lot of other people that are great to work with that I admire in the beginning it was a bit of imposter syndrome and it has changed to just admiring them and trying to absorb as much as possible from uh, those incredible people yeah and this is what I love about learning with Jason because Jason's he spoke about these things a lot and he speaks about silo learning and that people think siloed learning is going to keep you in a job, but actually it's a way to say, look, these people don't need me. I can go do something else. That's cool. One of the favorite things that he said, it was on the episode with X-Day and David from there was he was saying that some people at Netlify are really good at being like human state machines of like, what happens if the user does this or the user does that? What's going to happen? Yeah, Eduardo is one of these people. It's a very much a certain skill that when you're building like real dashboards and stuff, so many times you just forget that some people are really impatient and they'll just refresh the page and then they'll be like, it all broken. I want a refund. And you're like, uh, yeah, there's so much to learn. But I think what's really, really cool is that you have this opportunity to really learn and really introduce a feature to the community that a lot of people are looking for. And it's a great place to have an impact on the things that I care about. I care about building good tools for developers that like make their lives easier and allow them to build better products. Yeah, Netlify is in like is in a very unique position as at the center of an ecosystem that is just great to be in, and it's cool. And I still feel Netlify is still in its early days. It's still got quite a few years before every tool is a three-layer acronym. <laughs> cool. So where can our listeners find you and find Coral? So they can find uh, me on Twitter at knot, S-K-N, zero, and T-T, or at simonnot.de. I assume there will be links in the uh, description. They can find Coral at github slash quirrell dash dev slash Coral or at coral.dev, the website. Yeah, 
and they find Netlify by just Googling Netlify. <laughs> they know where that is. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for returning and giving us some updates on where you're at. It's very exciting that you've gotten to really push this project to greater heights thanks to the sponsorship. So yeah, we're really excited to see where it goes from here. Definitely. Thanks for having me. Have a great week. Awesome. Yeah. And done.